Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The following podcast contains dramatizations of actual events. Certain situations, dialogue, names, and locations may have been changed. Some scenes are graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Terry King always did his best to be a good father to his two young sons, Derek and Alex. He just loves having kids. I can enjoy being a dad. He was good to them. He did a lot for them. But when this family of three is ripped apart by a mysterious fire... I knew this was a crying scene. The two boys vanish. Did somebody grab them? They could be in danger. They could be dead somewhere. And a twisted world of lies and deceit is revealed. What's a 40-year-old man doing being so close to these two children? Alex, did you have a sexual relationship with Ricky Chaps? Tell the truth. That's what I wanted. I wanted them to publicly tell the truth. Cantonment sits roughly 15 miles north of the sandy white beaches of Pensacola. It's more of a country setting. People have horse farms, um, peanut farms, and cotton fields, and of course the big lumber industry there. Residents enjoy the slower pace of country life. It's a very rural area that I seemed like that would be kind of a draw, you know, for the people that like the, the laid-back atmosphere. And it's just the kind of place that 40-year-old Terry King has decided to start over with his two boys, 12-year-old Alex and 13-year-old Derek. Get a house, good job, his sons were with him. But in the early morning hours of November 26, 2001, something goes horribly wrong. 911, what are you reporting? We received from our dispatch that there was a structure fire in Cantonment. And as firefighters race to the scene, they receive frightening information. Our dispatch did advise that there was possibly somebody still inside that we need to get out of there. 
When we arrived on scene, there was a lot of fire. I put my bunker gear on that I had, my air pack and everything. Firefighters must act fast if they want to save anyone trapped inside. When we pried open the door, there was heavy smoke conditions and heavy fire conditions. And in the smoke-filled living room, the chief makes a disturbing discovery. When the first thing I noticed was feet. It was just kind of odd. He was sitting there in the chair with his feet propped up, and he had his arms crossed. And what appeared that was dried up blood on his face. Tragically, the body belongs to Terry King, and he's clearly deceased. The first thing I thought in the back of my mind, did it get so hot here that blood came out to that nature as far as the heat and the fire? But the conditions don't suggest that Terry died from the fire. As we're extinguishing the fire, there was no heat in that room. It was just, it just seemed kind of odd. And firefighters soon make another disturbing discovery. After looking at that, I noticed on the walls that there was a lot of red specks. And then come to find out it was dried up blood as far as blood splatter. Something clicked in the back of my mind when I seen the dried up blood on his face and I seen the blood splatter on the wall. I knew this was a crime scene. It appears that Terry King has been murdered. But there's another potential crime to deal with. His two sons, Derek and Alex, are not inside the house. In fact, they seem to have vanished. It got more complicated because then we're worrying about the kids. Then all kinds of things is running through my head as far as, did somebody grab them? They could be dead or they could be endangered somewhere. Two questions linger in the smoky air. Who wanted to kill Terry King? And where in the world are his two sons? Terry King always did the best he could with what he had. There was never a career path for Terry. I think it was more along the lines of getting work where he could. But work was the last thing on Terry's mind when he met the woman of his dreams, Cheryl. Terry was a shy man. He meets this vivacious, beautiful young girl. She's blonde-haired, blue eyes, outgoing personality, and that's a perfect match to his shyness. Within the first two years, their relationship became one of, hi, how are you, nice to meet you, then they're dating seriously, they're living together, and then boom, two boys, one right after the other. And Terry couldn't have been any happier with his two bouncing baby boys, Derek and Alex, born just one year apart. He just loves having kids, the whole dad and family thing. Even though it wasn't quite a family, you're not married, but however, I think he enjoyed being the dad. But after five years together, Cheryl delivers some shocking news. Terry's girlfriend was completely stressed out, couldn't handle it. It became clear she was not going to come back and be a mommy. For Terry, the loss of his significant other shook up his belief system and shook up the structure of his life that he had been working for. When she left, this was the beginning of a time for him that he felt that the world might turn against him. And Terry, the ever-loving father, stepped up to the task of being a single parent. The idea that this woman left and he took on that responsibility 
is quite unusual given what our popular current societal belief is. So Terry struggled alone with his two young boys, working jobs that paid little more than minimum wage. When Terry was working, it was keep his job, provide the food and place for them to stay, and then find babysitters. It's like, who can I get to watch my kids? And that produced instant stress. The stress soon became too much for Terry to handle, and he was forced to make a difficult decision. He heard about a private faith-based orphanage, and they would take in boys and place them with foster families privately, either permanent adoption or temporarily until the family could get back on their feet. It was a gut-wrenching decision, but one he had to make. So Terry decided voluntarily to give up Derek and Alex. People like Terry who had fought so hard to establish a family unit who have to give up their children are now facing the fact that they can't do what was important in their lives and this is a sign of helplessness and likely the sign of failure. But Terry remained determined to get back on his feet and one day get his boys back. The orphanage closed after a year of, of the King children being there. Derek went one place, Alex went another. The King brothers were devastated by the forced separation. This is the first time that the sibling unit was split up. Up until that point, from what we know, Alex and Derek had a pretty strong bond. Now placed with a foster family, it was younger brother Alex who took the separation the hardest. He just never settled in. He just grieved openly. The family felt like they just couldn't bond with him. But all the while, Terry was hard at work getting back on his feet. He just took work where he could get it, and eventually he found steady work at that print store. Though he'd worked hard, Terry could only afford to bring one boy home, and he chose Alex. When Alex comes back to live with Terry, Terry, of course, is thrilled to have one of his sons back. But Terry's paranoia soon returns. Terry was concerned about others viewing him as being an inadequate parent or forces come to bear that would have him lose Alex again. The first step was increasing the level of control that he had and limiting contact of Alex with the outside world. And he becomes stiflingly overprotective. He keeps Alex with him all the time. He locks him in rooms. As the years passed, Alex adjusted to life with his father. But 18 miles away, Derek was developing problems with his foster family. He got caught playing with lighter fluid. I believe he got caught stealing beer. It was never anything malicious or violent, per se. He just would do anything anybody wanted him to do for peer approval or for attention. Meanwhile, things were finally looking up for Terry and Alex. Father and son were able to lease a home on Muskogee Road. Alex had been pretty excited about it. They'd been living in a travel trailer up until that time. For Terry, this was a new beginning. He had a house, he had steady work, even if it was minimum wage. And Terry had one more goal. He wanted to bring Derek home and finally reunite his family but it would be the worst mistake of his entire life. 
two brothers under the same roof will push Terry to the breaking point. That just created this paranoia. He felt like everybody was taking his kids. And the ties that bind will destroy them all. That made something snap in their heads. They weren't going to put up with that for too long. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. After a year of hard work, Terry King has reunited with his youngest son, Alex. When Alex comes back to live with Terry, Terry, of course, is thrilled to have one of his sons back. And now this hardworking father is determined to get his oldest son, Derek, back too. After six years, Terry finally gets the opportunity to bring Derek home. Derek's foster family is at their wits' ends with him. Uh, he's a problem kid. They decided to put him in a military school. Terry hears this and says, no way, not my kid. Immediately goes, picks up Derek, and takes him home. He was ecstatic, because that's what he'd been working for for so many years. He could have everybody under one roof, and they could actually start having fun. Alex is overjoyed to be reunited with his brother. When they get back together, they fell almost back into that same routine. Alex with his own private thoughts and Derek eager to bond with the one brother that's been a consistent in his life, the one brother who's never betrayed him, the one family member who's not left him on purpose. But the pressure of caring for two boys overwhelms their father. All that stress from the earlier days until now, I think it was playing in a role. So he was really kind of stressed and um, had a little paranoia. 
For Terry, history repeating itself is the fear that he's always had. This is where the desperation begins to get worse, and likely his sense of paranoia will make him very uncomfortable. Dad, go to your rooms. For the boys, life with Dad feels less like a family and more like a prison. When Terry did get the boys back, the fear that he'd lose them again overwhelmed him, and he practically kept his sons prisoners. Terry wouldn't let the boys have a lot of privileges. He wouldn't let them watch TV and play video games. The only escape the brothers have from their restricted life comes from a friend of their father's, 40-year-old Ricky Chavez. Ricky's born and raised in Pensacola. He's a handyman. He can fix everything from refrigerators to cars to air conditioning units. Ricky was a, like a jack of all trades. After meeting at a local flea market, it turns out the two men have something in common. Ricky also comes from a broken home. He also had been in a private foster home for some time. Terry and Ricky quickly become friends, and Ricky is always willing to lend a helping hand. When he didn't have enough money to pay the light bill, Ricky would lend him a buck here or two. Ricky soon becomes someone Terry can rely on. Terry couldn't afford childcare and he had to work. So he was taking his kids to work with him. Now Ricky was the answer to Terry's problem. He's a friendly guy who would look after Terry's kids and he wouldn't charge him a dime. Derek and Alex spend hours after school in Ricky's care. And this time with Ricky is a welcome relief from their father's grasp. Ricky's a charismatic fellow. He's got the gift of gab. He always had kids around. He had video games. He had entertainment centers. So wherever Ricky was, there was always a party. They liked Ricky because Ricky would let them watch TV. He would let them play video games. He would let them do whatever they wanted, and they liked that. They didn't want to have to follow rules of their father. As time passes, 12-year-old Alex's feelings for Ricky deepen to a disturbing degree. And he expresses those feelings in his private journal. It became apparent that Alex was in love with Ricky. He believed that he was in love with this man. He thought they were experiencing an adult relationship. At home, Terry remains unaware of Alex's feelings for Ricky, but he does notice something out of the ordinary. Alex became more and more withdrawn. He quit calling Terry father, and he started calling him by his name. Whatever you say, Terry. And I think he was a little more disrespectful and pulling back and slightly more rebellious. Terry blames the change in his son on all the time the boys spend with Ricky. That just created this paranoia. When he realized what was happening with Ricky, he you know, felt like everybody was taking his kids. So Terry takes matters into his own hands. When Terry tells the boys, I don't want you going over to Ricky's house anymore. I mean, it was the only freedom he ever gave them, and now he had taken it away. That made something snap in their heads. The boys will soon let their father know just how upset they are by making his worst nightmare come true. Terry comes home, one backpack is gone, and he sees that some clothes are missing. He realizes that the boys have run away, and in fact, every knife in the house is gone as well. And this sends Terry's paranoia 
into overdrive. He puts up those missing posters. He's hitting the streets, driving around, talking to neighbors, asking anyone to help him. This is a father who was at wit's end. He was desperate. Terry contacts the sheriff's office, but he continues the search on his own, and he knows just where to look. When the boys ran away, Terry was convinced that they had run to Ricky. So that was the first place he went. So where's my boys? And you know, Ricky said, they're not here. Though he hasn't seen the boys, Ricky has heard from Alex. Ricky told Terry he's left this message on my phone. Hey, Dad. We're fine, but we're not coming home. Despite their differences, Ricky is ready to lend a hand, as always. Ricky, being his typical helpful self, he hits the streets, you know, drives him around. They put up posters together. But after five days, Derek and Alex are still nowhere to be found. For them to escape like this, to run away, he's frantic with worry. Where are they? Why are they running away from me? Has something happened to them? Are they angry with me? Or is something else more sinister going on? After a week of frantic searching, Terry finally receives some good news. Terry gets a call from Derek's former foster family. Hello. It turns out Derek has been spotted nearby by his foster father over in Pace, almost 18 miles away. Then the police were called, and before the police arrived, Derek said, you can't send us back to our dad. Derek is begging his foster family, please don't send me back, please don't send me back there. But Derek's pleas are ignored. Terry immediately runs to go pick him up. He drives clear across the county into the adjacent county to pick up his son. And though Terry is thrilled to have found Derek, so worried about you. Where have you been? he is still frantic about Alex. He grills his older son for answers. He's trying to get to the bottom of that from Derek. Where have you been? Do you know what's going on with Alex? And Derek's telling him essentially that they've stayed in the woods all these days and that Alex is still there. With Alex still missing and Derek unwilling to provide any answers, Terry remains determined to find his youngest son, no matter what. Terry gets a call from Ricky the following day that Alex has contacted him from a payphone, so Ricky went to go pick Alex up. Ricky brings Alex home to his father, and Terry is relieved to have both his boys back but it's a tense reunion. When Alex and Derek were back after running away, they were preoccupied by the thought that they were going to be seriously punished for what they had done, and they were afraid of their father. For the time being, the boys go unpunished, but Terry is determined to keep his sons under lock and key. He was going to sleep in the living room, and he had the boys in the bedrooms, and he had locked the doors. And he was trying to keep the boys there so they wouldn't run again. It's not long before Terry dozes off, blissfully unaware that he'll never wake up. When we received from our dispatch that there was a structure fire in Cantonment. We got in there, we noticed a uh, heavy fire load into the rear of the structure. It, it started really quick, and it was burning you know, extremely hot. After firefighters discover Terry King's body, they turn their focus on the second potential crime. 
I find out that there's two boys that are missing, and then that sets it off in another direction. Detectives begin canvassing the neighborhood, but they soon discover neighbors know little about Terry and his boys. They were relatively new to the neighborhood. It's a rural stretch of road, and if somebody chooses to keep to themselves, they're going to have a pretty easy time doing that. Fortunately, Terry's family provides detectives with the name of someone who could help the investigation, Ricky Chavez. When we started finding out information about Ricky Chavez, it became more and more important to talk to him and try to find out everything that he knew. A 40-year-old man with a close relationship to these two young boys is of interest to detectives. So Ricky is brought in for questioning. And he tells investigators that he's recently heard from Alex. Alex had left a message with Ricky's voicemail as far as that he wasn't coming home. We're just leaving a voicemail. We're fine, but we're not coming home. The voice message may be an important clue, no. and getting the tape is a perfect excuse to learn more about this strange man. We got to Ricky's house. He has these tall privacy fences around his property and some wire around the tops of the fences. And he also had cameras everywhere. It was like a fortress there. And of course, Ricky is suspicious and, you know, there's red flags going up. But even more peculiar is Ricky's behavior. He came in and he was nervous and he went on back to the back to go to the bathroom, apparently. But he was in a hurry to get back there. And we're kind of looking around, but we're real careful because there's cameras everywhere. He's monitoring every little thing that, you, that goes on out there. When Ricky returns from the back of the trailer, he plays the voicemail tape for detectives. They immediately hear Alex's small voice. making sure, of course, that Ricky passes this message along to his father. The voicemail does nothing to assist the investigation, but it does deepen detectives' suspicions about Ricky Chavez. It confirmed what they were beginning to suspect was that there may be more to Ricky's relationship with these boys than he was initially letting on. I think they felt like he had more to hide. But for now, the boys are still missing and detectives have no further leads. Nothing else was coming up on the case uh, at that particular time. We had the media and everybody trying to get some bulletins out on these boys. The most important thing is to try to get the boys located. But another phone call is about to upend the investigation. Ricky Chavez called the sheriff's office to say he found the boys over in Santa Rosa County. So Ricky brings these boys to the sheriff's office, basically deposits them like the angel of light. He says, here, I've I found them. They called me. I just wanted to bring them straight here to help you guys out. It's a huge development in the case, and detectives are anxious to hear what the boys have to say about what happened that fateful night. Derek told the investigators they were concerned that their dad might punish them for running away and that the punishment might become violent. The boys implied to the investigators that their dad was abusive. And that night, the brothers agreed that older brother Derek would stand up and fight back against their father if he raised a hand to them. 
Alex once again impressed on Derek the need for protection. I need you to be there for me, to stand up for me, to look out for me. You are my older brother, and so I think Derek felt that responsibility. Then, 13-year-old Derek describes what happened when their father finally confronted them about running away. Terry's demanding to know where they were, who they were with, what they were doing. Alex is not giving him straight answers, and Terry grabs his arm, frustrated that he's not getting the answers that he wants, and flings him over the coffee table. And in that single moment, Derek and Alex's understanding becomes a horrible reality. They waited for their father to go to sleep. They looked around for a weapon. They discussed different things they could use. Finally, they found the bat. They went in there to the living room. Uh, Terry King was asleep on the recliner. Derek went up to him and slammed him hard over the head, and he heard a crack. And he heard a moan. And then he said he just kept hitting because he was afraid he would open his eyes and see them and that they would be caught. And Alex was there watching. When the deed is done, the brothers start to cover their tracks. Derek says he goes back to the bedroom. He wants to get rid of the evidence. So he throws the bat on his dad's bed and he lights the bed on fire. Then the boys race off into the night. They ran out of the house went out to the highway and hitchhiked, um, and they spent the next two nights in the woods. But two nights in the woods proves difficult for the young brothers, so they make new arrangements. Ricky got a phone call that would give him directions on where to find the boys. He follows the directions to go down a particular road. Come on, boys, come on. The King boys just jump out of the woods. Ricky picked him up, and he took him back and to get him calmed down before they come in for an interview. Now detectives look to 11-year-old Alex to corroborate his brother's confession. We started talking to Alex, and he was real matter-of-fact, and he gave a similar statement as to Derek. But Alex has one amendment to his brother's story. It was my idea. I told Derek to do it. Alex made the statement that Derek hit him, but I'm the one that put it in his head. It was my idea. So Alex was telling us that he's the one that thought this up. If you're going to do it, now's the time to do it. When Alex's confession finally ends, everyone is shaken. I've never seen any young children this age confess to murder, especially their own father. It was kind of a shock in a sense because I thought, that's impossible. How in the world? Each was charged as an adult with an open count of murder. With two confessions in hand, it appears the murder, the arson, and the missing persons investigation have been solved in one fell swoop. But detectives aren't so sure. There were a lot of aspects to the confession of the boys that police just didn't buy. First of all, how do children do this? How do they hitchhike at 1 a.m.? How do they survive in the woods for two days? And these questions lead detectives back to one person. It was becoming apparent that Rick Chavis was the key. We knew he had to know more than what he was telling us. 
What's a 40-year-old man doing being so close to these two children? What's he doing being so involved in this family affair that's clearly something between a father and his sons? Detectives find their answer when they pull Ricky's criminal record. There was nothing wholesome about Ricky's appreciation of young boys. He was a convicted pedophile. In 1984, he'd been caught in bed with three runaway boys while working as a security guard in a hotel. He pled no contest, but it certainly stayed on his record, and he was much more careful, I do believe, from that point on that he would not get caught again. Given Ricky's past convictions, along with the inconsistencies in his statements, detectives begin to wonder what role Ricky really played in the boys' lives, and perhaps the murder of their father. Our suspicions are still building on Ricky. We interview the boys, they're saying adamantly, no, he had nothing to do with anything, but we still feel like there's more to it. So detectives continue to bring him in for questioning and slowly uncover the strange relationship between this 40-year-old man and these two young boys. We spoke to Chavis nine different times, I believe. Each time there was a little bit more that we got from him. Ricky breaks down and tells detectives exactly what he claims happened on the night of the murder. He did tell us that Alex had called mumbling, upset, scared. He couldn't hardly tell what he was saying. And he came up there and he picked them up. And he told us that he did drive them back to his house. He cleaned their clothes and they stayed with him. Ricky confesses the boys had been stowed away in his trailer even as police were just feet away. There was a compartment in the house where they would stay in. And even when we came to the house the day to get the recordings that Alex had made, the boys were hiding there at that time, which was right after the murder. Detectives also learned the truth behind the mysterious phone message left by Alex. Ricky Chavez and Alex got together and they created a voicemail message to be played. Don't worry, we're fine. Okay, bye. He lied to the police about knowing where the boys were. He hid the boys in his house even when the police were there. He claimed that he found the boys and he just kept telling different stories to the police. It's a series of startling admissions, but an even larger question looms. Why did Ricky do all these things for these two boys? There's no doubt that Ricky really liked Alex. And he even had Alex thinking that Alex, you know, had feelings for him. And whether anything happened or not, at that time, up to that point, couldn't prove it for sure. We had no way that we could charge Chavis with any kind of molestation type stuff or anything. There was no physical evidence, no eyewitnesses or anything like that. Everybody was adamantly denying it. Though there is no evidence yet to suggest a sexual relationship, there is enough information to arrest Ricky for his role in the murder of Terry King. We had enough to charge him with accessory after the fact and tampering with evidence. However, this isn't quite the open and shut case it seems. Derek and Alex are about to drop a bombshell. They started saying their story to the police was not true, that Ricky Chavez had told them what to say, that in fact, they claimed that Ricky Chavez snuck into the house, 
took him out to his car, then went back inside and committed the murder, then told them in detail how he committed the murder, and then convinced them to take the blame for it. And just when prosecutors think they have heard it all, Alex drops another shocking accusation against Ricky that may provide a motive for the murder. He said that he was molested by Chavis. Not all pedophiles are the same, but the grooming pedophile wants a relationship because that's what they need, will tell children that they love them. When you have a home environment with no warmth and a pedophile environment with warmth, what is a child going to choose when somebody says, I love you, versus look what I do for you, I go to work every day? That's a big difference to a kid. Prosecutors take swift action against Ricky and the new crimes the boys claim he committed. Ricky was charged with first-degree murder, arson, and lewd and lascivious acts against a child. Nine months later, Ricky's trial gets underway. Ricky's attorney attacked uh, Derek and Alex because they had changed their stories. And of course, he claimed that Alex was lying about a sexual relationship. Did you at some point believe that you were in love with Ricky Chaps? Yes, sir. Alex, did you have a sexual relationship with Ricky Chaps? Yes, sir. When did that begin? They confessed to killing their father, and now they want to blame it all on Ricky Chavis in order to save themselves from a sentence of life in prison with no parole. He was saying that if we took the blame, then that we would get off from self-defense because we were juveniles. But as the brothers' testimony continues, their placid veneer begins to crack. Derek broke down and was crying on the witness stand when he was being questioned about his father's treatment of him and Alex. And he was defending his father. And he was saying that his father did the best that he could. Despite what the boys told police, it turns out Terry King was simply a strict but loving father. The boys admittedly said that he was good to them. He did a lot for them, he'd take care of them, he fed them good. It takes just five hours of deliberation for the jury to reach a decision. With no physical evidence, they find Ricky not guilty of the murder of Terry King. As Ricky's case comes to a close, Derek and Alex prepare to face the same court as adults. And they testified in shirts and ties, and so they came across as being these sweet little, uh, innocent, angelic little boys. Both of them testified. Both of them said Chavis did it, uh, told them to lie, told them what to say, and they did nothing. Jurors see past Derek and Alex's angelic facade and find them both guilty of murder. In parasite cases, a killings of fathers, in and of itself, the killing of a parent is a very, very low-frequency event. There's just a very few number of children that kill per year, which is very, very, very rare. But this convoluted tale is about to take another dynamic turn. The judge he walks into the courtroom and announces, in his words, there's no doubt in my mind they did not get a fair trial. So the judge sends the case to mediation before Derek and Alex can even be sentenced for their crimes. I think the judge was just trying to encourage the parties 
to settle this case because certainly nobody wants to go through another trial like this all over again. And so I think to his credit, he was just trying to help get the case resolved. After months of arduous legal proceedings, Derek and Alex finally acknowledged their true role in their father's murder. They then admitted that their original confessions was true. They really did kill their father. They lied under oath in Chavez's trial. Alex and Derek agreed to plead guilty to third-degree murder, but tell the truth. Tell the truth. That's what I wanted. I wanted them to publicly tell the truth. And the nation watches as the two young boys are sentenced. Derek ultimately got sentenced to eight years, and uh, Alex got seven years. I uh, never prosecuted anybody so young for murder. It's very shocking that somebody that young uh, could form that type of premeditated intent to kill and then carry it out with such cold, calculated, and ruthless techniques. After the boys are hauled off to jail, Ricky Chavez faces yet another trial for his remaining offenses. He was found guilty of false imprisonment because Alex was under the age of 13, and since he had hid him, then that made it kidnapping. He was acquitted of all the lewd and lascivious charges. Then there was a third trial on Chavez for the accessory after the fact, and he was convicted on that and was sentenced to 30 years consecutive to the five years for the false imprisonment. So he got a total sentence of 35 years. As the nation grapples with what may have gone so terribly wrong with the King brothers, Terry's family is left to pick up the pieces. You kind of miss having a younger brother, and um, you know, you accept death as a part of life. There was a tragedy, but you, you go through the grievance of the, of the death and uh, you realize we were friends and you won't have that friendship any, any longer and that you won't have your brother any longer. No one may ever know exactly why Derek and Alex King decided to murder their father. But one thing remains certain. What we do know is that they had a strong bond, that Derek definitely wanted to protect his younger brother. If Derek wanted to show his little brother that he really cared, he would do whatever he had to do to protect him. This was a way that they solidified that bond and became brothers again. And sadly, in this case, blood brothers. <laughs>